0: We reject the ideology of globalism, and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism.
1: Not only will this tax plan pay for itself, but it will pay down debt. There are moral and legal obligation questions that I think we'll have to wrestle with as a society. When we as people go wobbly on the truth, we go wobbly on America.
0: All you have to do is look at the numbers, look at what
1: we've done. And this is only the beginning. From 100.9 FM WXIR, this is Evidence of Design, and I'm your host, Jason Taylor. Evidence of Design is a live talk show about the political economy. We critique income and wealth inequality and support democratic values. Thank you for listening and welcome. good morning everyone you're tuned in to evidence of design on 100.9 fm wxir in rochester my name is jason taylor host of evidence of De- design and i'm joined in wxir studios with my good friend and co-host matt treadwell hi it's saturday july 10th 2021 if that is the same date that you're living in then guess what that means we're a live show. We'd love to hear from you throughout the hour. Evidence of design is all about critiquing income and wealth inequality. We think there's way too much economic inequality in society, society today. Matt, I should have done my vocal warm-ups. You know, those things like you got to say your vowel sounds. You got to put a potato in your mouth and try to say your mother's maiden name. And your Unique brother. New York. <laughs> Unique New <laughs> York. Not- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, gotta get these vocal warm ups going. It would have helped if I didn't wake up 20 minutes ago, but um, just kidding. My commute is longer than that. Anyways, evidence of design, all about critiquing economic inequality. Too much economic inequality in society. That is our belief. We also think the facts support that. The top 10% of wealthiest individuals in the United States of America control 70% of of all of the wealth, whereas the bottom 50% of Americans control essentially a negligible amount of wealth. The bottom 50% of Americans, the bottom half, the bottom 165 million of them essentially have no net worth, while the top 10% of wealthiest Americans control 70% of all of the wealth in the wealthiest country in the history of the world. Income is less dire but still bad. The top 20% of Americans who take in the the most income every year, they take in 50% of all of the income. So 50% of the income in the U.S. goes to the top 20%, whereas the bottom 20% of Americans, they take in just 3% of all of the nation's income. Dire statistics, we think that We could be more equal as a society economically. We think that because we know we've been more equal economically as a society before. And also we believe that economic inequality translates into political and social inequality as well. And therefore we think as we endeavor towards a more perfect union, we got some work to do and opportunities to make this country more equitable and just. For all, that's what evidence of design is all about. Thank you for joining us. On today's show, we will be talking about the proposal by ah oh, 130 countries. Matt, I couldn't even name 130 countries. I can't even name five states. Yeah, I can't even name. Six countries, <laughs> but you know what? As our American-centric universe, we don't need to know who they are. We just got to pretend that they're out there so that we feel like we're just not alone. Just kidding. I could name quite a few countries. I'm not sure I could do one hundred and thirty. Well, I mean, if if there weren't other countries, then would
0: America even be exceptional anymore?
1: Right? You couldn't. You couldn't have America first. We have to. Day. We have to have other countries to be better than. Exactly. So that's why. I'm all uh, th- this is why the whole proposal to add more states to the union is problematic because we we'd want you know other countries that we can be better at. The problem is Puerto Rico, of course, uh, not a country, <laughs> I guess technically and and washington d c not a country. Um, so you know y- y- it's hard to have it both ways. hard to have I mean, I think we're going to be losing right. a few states in the <laughs> coming years. <laughs> Yeah, California will be in the ocean. Uh, Florida, Florida will be under the ocean. (laughs) California will still be above the water. It'll just be an island. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that's all right, you know. Um, (laughs) Just kidding, folks. So, 130 countries signed with the United States last week to create a global minimum tax on corporations. Wow, that's the first time in modern history at least something like that would happen. 130 countries coming together for a tentative agreement to say, look, we want to have a global minimum tax on corporations, meaning corporations have to pay at least X amount on all goods and services they provide to countries. That X amount is 15%. We're going to get into that, the implications of that on today's show, among other things. Also, Matt, I think we're going to touch a little bit about what's going on in Haiti, another, well, neighboring country in our Caribbean, in the Caribbean, (laughs) in the Caribbean, our Caribbean, you know, you know. So talking about the global minimum tax today on Evidence of Design. We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call, 585-219-8889. That's WXIR Studios, 585-219-8889, live show. We're also, if I can get around to it, going to be on live streaming on Facebook. I only got two hands, folks, and and one brain, and that one doesn't even work all that well. So we're going to try to live stream on Facebook. In the meantime, you can let us know your thoughts as well if you don't want to call in at our email at radioeod at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Radio EOD. Again, 585- 219-8889. We're going to jump into the global minimum tax on corporations right after a short break, folks. Hang on. Revolution Blues by Neil Young. And this is Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR. Matt, let's get into talking about the global minimum tax on corporations. I have never been so excited about a topic since, uh, well, uh, yes, Jason. <laughs> we talk about the most exciting things in evidence of design, that's, 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 that's for sure. So, there is a proposal mainly led by the United States current uh, Janet Yellen... <laughs> Uh, current treasurer yeah the the fed chairwoman janet fed chairwoman is that right no she's not the no she used to be secretary of treasury yeah secretary of treasury thank you matt what is wrong with me it's not steve mnuchin anymore i was just thinking of steve mnuchin's dear old face secretary of treasury janet yellen she used to be the chairwoman of the federal reserve not anymore she has been helping to lead a proposal to have a global minimum tax on corporations. Why is this important? Because there is a phenomenon known as a race to the bottom. That is essentially where if you exist in, you know, in theory in a free market, the idea that corporations will always want to seek out places to do business that have the most potential profit for them, right, seems economic rationalism the best margins the highest margins the best margins and therefore taxation is one place that can cut into a corporation's margins and so when looking for places to do business corporations can look for places that have the lowest taxation and therefore in order for countries to attract businesses they will try to compete with others other countries to make them as business friendly as possible one way in so doing is by lowering their corporate tax rate however this creates a problem because it pits every country against one another to lower their taxes as much as possible and thereby ends up hurting everyone overall in theory by having a race to the bottom for the lowest taxes in theory France says, hey, I want businesses, I'm going to do a 20% corporate tax. Germany says, well, I want businesses, I'm going to do a 19%. Uh, Ireland says 18%. The UK says 16%. France says, well, now I've got to go down to 15%. And so on and so forth. There's a spiral down, a race to the bottom effect. Does it happen perfectly this way? No. Of course the world is quite complicated. There's a lot of things that go into businesses and money and political power and decision making. But it's there's been demonstrably proven, I think, through you know studies and whatnot that a race to the bottom effect exists. Indeed, it's not just in corporate taxation on a global scale. Perhaps to make it more relatable, we've seen this locally and also between states in the United States. A great example is Amazon HQ2, when two years ago or three years ago, Amazon was putting out proposals to ask different places around the US, hey, where should we build our second headquarters that will come with you know oh, so much money, so much jobs, so much opportunity? We wanna hear from you different places around the country. What do you have to offer us? And then you had reports of states and local governments essentially groveling. <laughs> yeah. when What uh, was so funny
0: about that was that they ended up picking New York City and Washington, D.C. as the new uh, HQ locations originally, which, as I think we mentioned on the show before— are the financial and political capitals of America and, and you know, you can make the uh, argument that they are the financial and political capitals of the world given America's station on the global uh, playing field. And so what's funny about that is that you had all these cities and and uh, states making these just increasingly uh, uh, generous proposals um, proposals, you know, tax write-offs. I think New York City actually gave them, like, was going to give Am- Amazon, like, $3 billion worth in tax write-offs. Um, but, of course, like, in hindsight, these places that were competing were never in competition, really. It was always going to be New York City and Washington, D.C.
1: Hmm. That's, so you, you feel like it was preordained and that, you know, Amazon's interests are just to go to the places where the most concentrated power is already because it's more higher leverage for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think we've seen in a lot of how businesses have played out in terms of where they allocate their power. Then I, I think that sort of supported Matt and in, in reality in that we've seen, for, for instance, Silicon Valley, Seattle, DC, New York really be power, you know, powerhouses politically and economically and so many connections to make here, right, which is why I think one of the reasons why there's so much polarization in America today, because the gap between rural and urban is so severe in terms of lifestyles, in terms of power and influence, in terms of job opportunities, and therein you can bring in political differences in ideology too, uh, cultural differences, and this very much differs from old school capitalism or industrialization, where it, perhaps would have been more beneficial for companies to go into other places where there were not yet markets for instance if you're going to produce steel maybe it's better to go to a different place where there's no other steel producers so you can capture the natural resources that are there and have a market for that region and beyond it's it's very different nowadays where companies actually all go to the same place because today's natural resources in many ways not totally Are human capital, social capital, like people's ideas and their individual talents, because we're producing like software, you know, (laughs) Um, uh, technical services, as opposed to extracting minerals out of the ground. Hey, by the way, we still do that, and all of our technology is based off of minerals extracted from the ground. Ergo, shortages and computer chips, and you know, silicon and all that sort of stuff. But uh, this is why I think so many reasons why the tech industries have conglomerated themselves in certain areas of the country because they're competing for the you know so-called the best and brightest tech workers. We've covered on, before on the show on Amazon where there's different layers of Amazon's business, where you think of Amazon with those really high-skilled tech workers all centered in you know the HQs or whatnot, whether it's in uh, Seattle or, well, and now when they're HQ in, in DC, the New York one fell through because of uh, local protests. But we also covered how there's different layers to the Amazon business, for instance, the warehouses, whereas the warehouses, you don't need, Amazon doesn't need the best and brightest workers, they just need exploitable labor, right, to do the sort of menial tasks just to get the product off the shelf A to B. For now. For now. Until they get their replicant program up and running. (laughs) Right, until the robots. So maybe going a little bit off tangent here, talking about the global corporate tax rate, but the point is to go back to the original uh, example of state and local government intercompetition, is that we see this here, a race to the bottom in the United States, of different states competing, lowering their taxes, being more so-called business friendly, lowering regulations to attract businesses.
0: And I, I would like to point out that this isn't the only reason, but it is a major factor in why we don't manufacture anything in the United States anymore. Because our um, our economic system, that being capitalism, is uh, entirely profit driven. And that is often upheld as a positive thing in that c- it drives competition and competition leads to better products, better services, and just uh, 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 better uh, uh, that's what I'm looking for, Better um, quality of life mm-hmm. for people living here. But the reality is that if you have a a profit-driven economic system is that uh, corporations are obviously going to try and min-max, as we say in the (laughs) video game community, (laughs) their their profits. And in so doing, they will go to other countries to manufacture whatever it is they need to uh, make their products. Countries that may have uh, less protective labor laws, countries that offer a lower or even non-existent corporate tax rate, and in so doing, you know, the quality of life in this country suffers because people can't get a well-paying job anymore on a with a with just a high school education.
1: Right, and so this proposal that we're talking about on evidence of design on one hundred point nine FM WXIR among one hundred and thirty countries, mainly led by the United States, past week. 130 countries signed on to have a tentative agreement for a global minimum tax rate on corporations in their countries at 15. All the very important point. And this gets very complicated, and I'll be completely honest. I don't really understand how this works. Global corporate business is uh, complex, folks, and just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it's not important. Indeed, it's very complex because, well, it, it is complex, but also perhaps it's meant to be complex so the general public can't understand. So not only is the proposal in this agreement to have a global minimum tax at 15%, but there's also a big push in this agreement among these countries is to force big global businesses like Amazon and Facebook to pay taxes in the countries where their goods and services are sold, even if they don't have a physical presence there. So I, I'm not sure I fully understand that besides saying so many of the big tech companies nowadays, for instance, Facebook, can, and Google, their services they don't need to have a, a factory, you know as old capitalism would need to do a factory where workers go to produce the good using raw materials. Amazon Facebook uh, well Facebook, Google in particular, with ads and other cloud services, you know they need server rooms and whatnot but they don't really need sort of a factory to have their goods and services in a country. But hundreds of millions, if not billions of people still use the services that are provided by those companies and the companies are extracting their data and making the profit off of it. And so, you know, long story short, this hasn't really been covered so much in the American media because, you know, America tends to be more focused on itself and you know there's a lot going on here. But long-going debates and court challenges in Europe and other countries around the world like India to what they would call fairly tax these big multinational corporations that are mainly American. And there are digital service taxes is what's called in, in particular Europe that are on American companies right now like Amazon, Facebook, and Google that Europe says is trying to fairly tax these companies that have so much influence and are doing so much business. But as current tax laws are written, they essentially have loopholes or are not held accountable for a lot of their businesses because they might lack the sort of traditional brick and mortar presence and the organization of, uh, you know, physical workers and physical capital and physical places. So, quite complex. Not sure even I fully understand it, but it's important that this agreement is not just about establishing a baseline floor for corporate taxation. It's also about attempting to tax what people would call fairly the goods and services from the latest incarnations of capitalistic big tech companies. That's a big bullet point.
0: And I'd like to say that uh, 15% is not a lot. It's not a lot. Now, even in the history of this country, we had in the post-war years, we had a corporate tax rate of over 50%. Yes. Um, So I think it's very important um, to put all this in context because so much uh, of the sort of... Uh, opposition against having a corporate tax rate or raising the corporate tax rate or raising taxes on the wealthy in general is is uh, this reframing of American history, and that people say, "Well, it'll never work. It's never worked before. It's a, it's a bad idea. It'll it'll constrict businesses and the ability to uh, produce uh, uh, goods and, and money." And and the reality is that it's in our own history that this has happened before, and it can happen again. It can be better.
1: Yeah, let's jump into some of the criticisms, Matt. We'll, we'll kind of go back and forth here. That's a really important point. So you're bringing up, okay, this global minimum tax of 15% on corporations. Wow, that's a big deal. 130 countries coming together. The issue, as you're raising, is that a corporate tax rate of 15% is already lower than, I believe, most countries' corporate tax rates. Indeed, the United States' corporate tax rate you know, on paper, is 21%. It used to be 35% just four years ago before the 2017 Republican Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which, by the way, permanently cut corporate taxes by 14%, while temporarily, meaning just in the short term, cut... Uh, income taxes by a negligible amount for the for, for Americans. <laughs> it, it demonstrably cut taxes for the wealthiest, but essentially negligibly cut taxes for most Americans, low-income and middle-income Americans. And that was set to expire at the end of, I believe, 2024, so the end of the Biden administration. I think they did that so that if a Democrat won in 2000, then they'd have to be—or sorry, 2020— <laughs> Um, then they'd have to be in an unpopular position by the end to you know, maybe, called, maybe being called raising taxes, going back to a previous, previous amount that used to be socially acceptable. So uh, lots, of, lots of nuance here. Long story short, Matt, you're totally right. The history of corporate taxation is one where it used to be a lot higher, not only in the United States, but many countries around the world. But we've seen this race to the bottom effect across the world as as countries and local governments and states and territories compete against one another in the race to the bottom to attract business. So this 15% global floor, well, nice to have a floor, but it is already lower than most countries' corporate tax rates. So 130 countries have signed on. I'm super surprised so many did. Russia, China, and India, among, you know, obviously the major players of 130 countries signed on as well. Uh, I think one of the reason why so many countries have signed on is because, again, the corporate tax rate is already lower than this. This proposed global floor is lower than what most countries' corporate tax rates are to begin with.
0: Yeah, it's not like they're actually committing to anything.
1: Yes, not not yet, and indeed many might benefit from having, say, American multinational companies taxed, uh, and they would increase their tax revenue. Nine countries did not sign on. Uh, the, the list includes Barbados, Estonia, Hungary, Ireland, Kenya, Nigeria, Sri Lanka, St. Vincent, the Grenadines, and Peru. We'll focus on one of those here for an instant. Ireland is famous, perhaps infamous, for having a a low corporate tax rate. Ireland's corporate tax rate is 12.5%. And Ireland is a tax haven, as it's called, for many businesses around the world. Indeed, American companies, Amazon, no, not, is it Apple? Am- Apple, yes, Apple, and, uh, Let's just go with Apple. So Amazon, yes, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of new ones here. Um, American company Apple has their European headquarters in Ireland, and the, the specific reason for it is because they have the lowest corporate tax rate. So Ireland doesn't want to sign on to this agreement because they might lose that advantage of attracting businesses to their country. So you might think, you know, this is economics. You might think, well, I mean, it's all about a fair field, right? Fair competition amongst people to attract businesses. And if Ireland can find a way to attract these businesses to their country and allow the goods and services to be produced and Ireland still gets some tax revenue, then they are the winner in this competition. The problem is, is that as with all basic theories of cooperation, is that if everyone agreed to have at least a floor, say, of 15%, then everyone gets more. The countries get more. Ireland would get more if the company still stayed in Ireland, but the tax rate was at 15%, or if there were other incentives to attract companies, which there are besides just taxation. The theory is that everyone else would benefit, all corporations and people would benefit, because the tax rate would be higher, and we wouldn't have to compete against one another, grovel with one another, to attract businesses
0: that's one of the things that i really hate um about anybody who is a proponent or defender of capitalism is that there's always this unspoken assumption that you know like well fair is fair you know if you can get away with it um then then that's being smart that's being uh clever it's being crafty and what, what is understood but never said is the idea that well If you're seeing the world in this uh, win-lose sort of uh, lens Then there's always somebody who is getting screwed Who is always uh, uh, either being exploited or, or, or denigrated in some way And trying to propose that we do things differently A la socialism or communism even is always met with this uh, uh, these accusations of idealism, or or you know that's just not possible. it's not the way the world works. When there, it's not the way the world works because because these wealthy interest groups have have uh, uh, controlled uh, the the global sphere for the last you know however many years. Um, I'm not a historian. <laughs> I'm not anything. I'm not anything. But um, what I'm trying to say is that so often we're discouraged from from even imagining that things could be different. When we there's plenty of evidence to suggest that they could be. Like we know, for instance, that uh, global hunger is a very real problem faced in, in not just in uh, poor countries, but in in this country, in the richest country in the history of the human species. And yet, it's a well-documented fact that the world produces one and a half times the amount of necessary calories to feed the entire population of the planet. Yet, we still have people starving. It seems to me that that's a problem that we could fix had we the political uh, uh, ability to do so. I mean, we do have the political ability, we just are... we have... uh, Uh, people in power uh, who control vast amounts of money and influence that would rather it not be so.
1: Yeah, for much of human history, you could say, well, a lot of it was about just ensuring that we have the ability to meet our basic material needs. Do we have enough food? Do we have, you know, the ability to produce housing? Do we have shelter? All that sort of stuff. Of course, humanity has transcended that a long time ago. We have enough technology and raw materials to produce the goods and services that meet at least our basic material needs. And indeed, even beyond that, the problem that we run into nowadays is with equitable distribution, with fair distribution, because profit under capitalism, uh, the logical model of it is just for it to be concentrated. The point is to create profit. The point is not to equitably or even rationally distribute resources. The point is simply to create profit. And that creates indeed what I would call market inefficiencies. Proponents of capitalism and the so-called free market would would say it's market efficiency to seek profit, I would call that an inefficiency because the point of a market I I don't I don't see how you could rationally argue that the point of economics is to seek is to just make profit. Right. The point of economics is to get profit. No, the point of economics, which is a human activity, should be to better human lives. Because that's what human activity should be do, is to better your life. Right. And
0: and that's what ends up getting sacrificed under capitalism is the quality of life of so many people. And so I had another point and it's just completely vacated in my mind,
1: but, um, well, in case listeners have a point, you can let us know five eight five two one nine eight 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 nine Again, five, eight, five, two, one, nine, eight, 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 nine. You're listening to evidence of design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. Matt, I like to commit a, a little bit of masochism every now and then by going on to Fox News and seeing, you know, just what, what some other folks are saying about things going on uh, in the world. And It's important to keep a healthy perspective. Right. I mean, both sides. We're all about both sides. Everybody has something to offer.
0: Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And you can't get the full story just by looking at the same news source every
1: day. Nope. So you got to go on to Fox News to get your daily dose of... Vitamin, stupid. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So um, I go into Fox News, I'm reading the articles, mostly the comments about uh, the coverage of this proposal to create a global minimum tax on corporations. And uh, the comment after comment after comment is saying. Why doesn't the democratic liberal Biden administration understand that anytime you seek to tax corporations, all that happens is you're essentially taxing citizens because corporations will always pass their problems off to its customers, right? Their costs. I don't understand how you have that idea where (laughs) there's, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible to rein in, or to control the economic activity of human-created corporations. It's impossible to do that, because anytime you try, you're only hurting yourself by hurting consumers. That makes no conceivable sense, because what you are essentially doing is ceding all controls. (laughs) You're ceding the ability to control, to regulate, To let's use positive words. I mean, those aren't negative words, but to to encourage the specific manifestation of economic production, you are ceding the ability for us to do that by saying, "Well, corporations will just do what they always do, and they have you know they'll just pass on the cost." It's not borne out by history or fact that corporations will just automatically transfer any costs onto consumers. Why is because if they did that. No one would buy their products anymore if they were too expensive. Okay, you raise the tax rate on Amazon by 70%, right, if that was legal or possible to do. Amazon then raises its prices by 70%. Is anyone going to buy Amazon products anymore? No. Because you're just going to go to another, and someone else will come in and, and, and produce what, you know, do what Amazon was doing, or we'll just find other places that are already doing what Amazon's doing, but we're not buying their products and services, right?
0: Well, wouldn't that also serve their narrative? Because the idea is that if you try to regulate something like Amazon, you're just going to open the door for another company to come in and do what Amazon's already doing. So why even bother?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was giving one example of targeting a specific company. Of course, in our, uh, as our model currently stands, and I'm not saying it's a good idea to target a specific company. But you could target all companies, all things. And that's the point of regulation. That's the point of government action. That's the point of concerted action is to have a floor, have a baseline, have a set of rules whereby all players must follow. And you know, that's the point, is that you do that, and then life goes on, and you use the revenue, the benefits you get out of this regulation, out of this government action, out of this encouragement of specific economic manifestations to make everyone's lives better through social spending. How much social spending are we talking about? Well, estimates of what could be raised from even this 15% global corporate tax rate, which we mentioned is already below what many countries' corporate tax rates are, but there are ways for revenue to still be raised by this, by other bullet points. You know, you're raising the tax rate in some countries that have a lower floor, but also you're taxing companies who sell their goods and services in a country but aren't taxed there right now under loopholes because they don't have physical presences there. So, you know, there's ways revenue is being raised here. Estimates are that the U.S. would bring in 50 billion dollars a year to the United States, $50 billion. That's, it's a lot of money. And it's inconceivable to imagine that amount of money because it's just a, it's just a number, a billion. Wow, we used the word B, you know, <laughs> the letter B. At least
0: one and a half <laughs> F-35
1: programs. <laughs> yeah, it's like one fighter jet, let's be honest. You know? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a lot of money. Globally, it could raise $150 billion in annual revenue across the world. Matt, we've covered on the show before how under enforcement by the IRS, because they've been underfunded because congressional Republicans have tried to strip the IRS of their ability to collect taxes legally that are on the book, right? Uh, Not only do they want taxes as low as possible, but the taxes that we already have, Republicans don't want them to be collected. Okay, so great. Uh, The U.S. loses out on $1 trillion a year. And revenue from the richest Americans and corporations who abscond from paying their fair share of taxes.
0: Just how the current tax law is written.
1: Right. Just as how it's written. We're not even talking about raising rates. Exactly. Just in collecting taxes as it's written with what we have is pretty historically low rates. Indeed, historically low rates in in many regards. So the the next time someone talks about how are we going to pay for stuff, um, you just do it the government invents money, you know, (laughs) like money is invented. (laughs) You just do it. You, you, I mean, you know, before we, I, easy to say, Jason, what about inflation? Okay. Well, let's start first by collecting our fair share of taxes. It's like,
0: (laughs) we don't even need to invent money. Like we have the money. Yeah. It's just, it's just owned by like three different people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe they shouldn't have that much, you know? Right. You just do it. It's, it's just so like, it's so funny how, um, I am always so floored by this. I love to take classes on like, I can like money theory, like literally like why, like what is the theory? What is the philosophy behind money? What is the history behind money? Because like in theory, right, we literally have the raw materials on planet earth. Mother nature has abounded us with plenty to provide for, uh, anything we might want. The problem is, how do we convince people to do things to produce the things that we want? And that's why you have money, because you have to have a cudgel over someone's head to say, "Well, who's going to be a janitor if that, you know if you're going to have socialism? Who's going to who's going to you know clean up stuff?" It's like, well, do you do that in your house? <laughs> you, know, you don't pay anyone to clean up your house. And some people do. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. I mean, there. yeah, true. Most people don't pay anyone to clean up house. You just do it. Right. So if you work in a, if you work in a company, do you need a janitor? No, everyone just signs up for an hour a day or an, sorry, not an hour a day, an hour a week to clean up. You know, I mean, you just do it. You you sign up you you make it happen. So, anyways, I'm sort of rambling here. The point is is like we already have enough stuff. It's not a question of how to get more stuff. It's not a question of developing the technology to to rein in Earth's natural resources. It's simply a question of how, in theory, to get people to do the things. So, could we pay for universal healthcare right now? Meaning, could we guarantee if you have anything that's wrong for you in your health wise, can you go to a doctor? and get advice from a medical professional, someone who studied medicine to know how to give you a reasonable data informed, you know, answer about what's going on with your body so that you can have a better quality of life. Could we do that right now? Absolutely. Sorry. No, go for it.
0: I was just going to say, it's so instructive to understand that that the resources are available, that this is possible, because so often the argument is made that it's not possible, it's not feasible, and uh, that argument is made only because if you accept that it's possible, then the only other reason to give for not doing it is because you don't want to. And how can you make that argument to not do it because uh, by not doing it, by not uh, spreading our resources more equitably? you are essentially, uh, uh, condoning the mass suffering of people everywhere.
1: Yes. It's also, it's so amazing. I mean, to talk about these different ideas on this, Matt, when I, I hear all the time from conservative folks that I talk to that Democrats ruin the economy Uh, you need look no further than the price of gasoline ever since Biden took office ever since democratic socialist president, Joe Biden took office, that darn socialist, the gas of price has increased by a lot. Now we're paying in Rochester, what? $3, 10 cents for a gallon. You know, that's gone up. There was, I don't, I don't know the chart I don't have in front of me, but you know, $2 and 10 cents a year or two ago. So it's gone up by a lot, you know, air quotes it's just really and it's just like oh democrat in office prices up democrat policy is bad uh, it's just really funny because the economy works so much more complex than that and the idea that um you know joe biden himself has gone in to raise prices on gasoline just just, just makes no sense and, and indeed there are there's plenty of articles out there that wall street itself is the one that is wanting higher gas prices by restricting Because they make more money off of their investments by restricting the production of oil. And so for a long time, um, the, the world's oil supply has been oversupplied, right? The mantra has been pump, pump, pump. You have all these Middle Eastern oil companies, the OPEC. You know, Organization for Petroleum Exporting Countries, most of which in, in the Middle East, but also Russia, uh, who come together as a cartel to say, let's set prices here by, by pumping this much oil. Oftentimes it's been pump, pump, pump. And thanks to the shale revolution in the past decade, the U.S. and Canada have become global suppliers in oil. Indeed, the U.S. has led the production in oil over the past uh, decade. And so... The price of oil is higher right now for for many reasons, but mainly led by Wall Street investors who are restricting the supply of it, so that the price goes up. Because it's not just pump, pump, pump. We want to set the supply and have the price go up to make more profit. Now, again, complicated here. Like, do we really want to be extracting as much oil as possible from the ground? You know, I don't know. Climate change. But the, the point is, is like, if you just sort of say Democrats economy bad, obviously that's really stupid and it's not lacking or it's not having a nuanced or critical, um, interpretation of events. But you just see this sort of stuff so often that I guess I just wanted to say that where you're talking about, you know, we're, we're sort of lacking the imagination or the will to sort of make the changes that we have the power to do, um, whether you're saying that, uh, Democrats automatically increase prices because their economic policies are bad, or whether you're saying that corporations—you can never rein in corporations. What don't you understand? Because any time you try to do so, the pass will be just the, the the cost will be just passed on to consumers. It's simply not true, and it's self defeating. I don't know why you would argue that for yourself, unless you're a member of the billionaire or you own a, a giant corporation. I don't know why. What, what's in your material interest to do that? It's not. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason
0: for that is that. We don't really have an idea or an understanding, a sense of class consciousness in America anymore. Part of the reason for that is that uh, capitalism, as an economic uh, program, I guess, or, or system, is naturally is naturally uh, alienating and atomizing. Um, and and part of the reason is that it's it's sort of been. Uh, Culturally baked in is one of our values To to be as individualistic as possible There's always a sense of individual There's always been sort of This American mythos of I don't want to say always But it's uh, There's a long history Of uh, individual responsibility Of being able to look after your own Of Screw you, got mine In uh,
1: America Yeah, indeed. And I I just think at least on the face value, I don't, you know, I'm really curious about the part of me that feels naive to think that cooperation is bad. I'm just, I'm genuinely curious about that. For instance, I think about the United States leading efforts for 130 countries to come together to establish a global minimum floor in taxation like that. I feel proud about that and I feel good about that because I think cooperation and mutual interest is, is, is a good thing. And then like there's this part of me that is in doubt and says, you know, is this naive why don't we just focus on our own, that sort of part, you know? And I imagine, like, I'm just curious about that part of myself, like where that comes from. And I just imagine for a lot of people, like, that part that I'm curious about and is the smaller voice is the louder voice, you know? And they might sort of think, well, yeah, why do we need to focus on anything else? Just do our own thing. And it's not f- like, what's in our interest to look after anyone else? Let's just, uh, let's focus on our own. And, and, and also, yeah, it's all about competition and, and the winner take all and the, there's survival of the fittest, you but
0: know? exactly. You get into that. What right. is focusing on our own? What is it really? Cause like, they're not actually interested in helping like poor people in this country. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this is something I've been thinking about a little bit recently. And that even in the, uh, our mainstream media, that is not Fox news and Fox news is mainstream media. Indeed. Um, there, there is such a jingoistic narrative running in Amer- in America right now and and uh, i'm not I'm not a historian. I'll say it again but it's it's become so much more i guess I've become so, so much more aware of it recently in that there there's is so much talk of lately especially you know framing China as this grand antagonist of our of our national interest. And it's like, I mean, maybe if you're willing to concede that America is an imperialistic power that is interested in, you know, uh, uh, preserving its global hegemony, then you can see that. But uh, 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 even if you accept that and and are for it, um, I mean, I accept that that's the case, I'm not for it, but even if you... um, View the world in that way. That doesn't that doesn't mean that you have to view Chinese people as your enemy, or as anything other than your fellow humans. Like we are all the same, in that we are human people. We are uh, people who are alive, and and, and by virtue of our, our lives, we we are we have fundamental value, and um, anything that can benefit, you know, what benefits. What I'm trying to say is that we should not be framing the world in, in these uh, in stark it's contrast <laughs> of um, of people who are who are perhaps from a different place or look differently than us or believe different things that they are our enemy or that they are are any less. Uh, valuable or or important than us you know, by virtue of being alive by virtue of being humans they have value they are they are us is what i'm trying to say
1: yeah and i i don't i am i certainly am not naive enough to well now let me say this i don't subscribe to the idea that the u.s imp- that U.S. foreign policy is inherently imperialistic and domineering and anything the U.S. tries to do outside of its own borders is not fair to other countries and its people. There are lots of people um, who are on the left side of the political suasion that I would say I identify with who might agree with a stronger stance of that to say, you know, anytime the U.S. interferes abroad, it's bad. Uh, I'm not I don't subscribe to the idea that you just think that no other country has the power or capability to act irresponsibly towards human interests on a grand scale, right? I think that Chinese hegemony, that China will also engage in conduct that uh, reduces you know, the, the, the material interests and the worth of different people across the planet. And that they will use their military might and their authoritarian might to enact certain ways of life that run counter to different ways of life that people would rather be living. Something like that. The point is, you know, I think we do live in a world where there is competition and that there will always be a sense of competition. I'm not naive enough to think that Um, All seven and a half billion people can rally around the same idea of humanity. And yeah, we all just want food, clothing, shelter, and, and love, right? Of course we do because we're human beings. You know, we're sentient beings who need our basic material needs met and a sense of connection. At the same time, we live in a world that has this conception of scarcity. Because let's be honest, you know there there are not enough high definition TVs to give everyone the planet right now, or something. You know, right? There just simply aren't enough iPhones to immediately give everyone. You'd have to produce it. You got to extract the resources. You got to create it, right? So humans have always this conception of scarcity. Long story short, the point of international cooperation is, I think, a worthwhile endeavor. Will there always be so-called cheaters? Yeah. Will there always be roadblocks and negotiations to create shared definitions of success and fairness and equity? Yeah. It doesn't mean you don't try to do that. And so efforts to establishing a global minimum tax on corporations by countries representing 6 billion-plus people, right, if not 7 billion— an an inconceivable amount of people, I think is a worthwhile endeavor to say, yeah, engage in mercantile transaction, but some of that transaction is going to go to the public sphere. Some of that private transaction will go to the public sphere. And in so doing, governments that represent the people will use that profit in the public sphere to create healthcare, education, roads, bridges, environmental you know, policies, things of that nature. I think that's a good thing. So maybe I'm sort of rambling here. I guess I'm just simply trying to say I find efforts towards cooperation to be uh, rational (laughs) and helpful, even while acknowledging that we don't live in a perfect world and that, uh, you know, it won't always be easy. So this global minimum tax on corporations. Yeah, sounds kind of cool to me. Keep an eye on it. It's not finalized in October. Most of the countries say they expect to have a finalized plan in October. Still details to hash out. Um, Hold on a second. In order for it to be fully implemented, though, it's got to be approved by the U.S. Congress. Well... (laughs) democracy is a roadblock sometimes matt but rightfully so we need we need to scrutinize this as the american people we got to have a say in in how this corporation looks uh do will republicans support this well i don't know about that not sure republicans support at all (laughs) these days um so we'll see but i'm certainly in favor whenever someone says jason do you want taxes yes you know, I love taxes. I would love to be taxed.
0: You're running on the tax only though.
1: I'm anti-family, anti-jobs, pro-tax. That's my, um, you know, that's my campaign line.
0: And I would like to establish a communist dictatorship. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've read Mao. I've read Stalin. <laughs> that doesn't make <laughs> me a communist. <laughs> Uh, I want to understand. I just want to understand. So I can kill it, <laughs> Matt. All we need—the government—is not. This government doesn't exist to provide for the people. No, no. It,
0: it, it exists to get in the way of my individual liberties. <laughs> Listen,
1: Joey. Government's not there to provide for you. Government's just there to understand you. I don't expect the government to fix my problems. <laughs> I but I do expect them to understand them. Dude, that's the best thing. <laughs> Who said that? Was that Mitch McConnell? No, it was Joe Biden. <laughs> it's Joe Biden's dad. Uh, Joe Biden. You know, Joe Biden. we just want empathetic governments. We want social workers. It's <laughs> it's like, it's like it's what
0: It's so funny because it's exactly what we have right now. It's like <laughs> we either have a Republican government that... Either is just laughing in our faces as like poor people starve in the streets, or uh, a democratic government that like provides a shoulder for the people who just lost their loved one because they can't afford diabetes or they can't afford uh, insulin to
1: cry on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sympathy. Do you choose empathy over not empathy? Absolutely. Do you choose <laughs> being a wuss over being a jerk? <laughs> <laughs> oh, when you put it that way, I definitely want to be the jerk. I don't want people to think I'm weak. Yeah. You know? Then they might take advantage of me. Isn't it? Isn't it funny? Dude, this is why I love politics. Because there's these, like, basic human things that you just, just by virtue of being human in, like, our culture and society, that, and I would imagine every society, that, like, comes out in high school. You know, like, the most basic things of, like, do I, do I want to feel left out? No, I want to feel, you know, and you, and you have like these fantasies of like being sort of, I don't know, like, included in, yeah included or even maybe feared or like respected for strength right like these things translate into politics it's so fascinating to me and that's why I love politics is to like connect these basic human things that you feel in your daily life and that you've experienced and then to realize that they manifest at a much broader scale in, in the world you know in terms of like global corporate taxes it's so amazing to me and that's why that's why I love politics anyways I think that, that ends our show um uh, don't be a wuss. Yeah. <laughs> or, or whatever. Um or wait, no 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 no. Let's go with the let's understand each other's feelings. I think that's good. I really do think that's good. Thanks for listening to Evidence of Design. I'm one hundred point nine FM, WXIR, and Rochester. The thing is the government can do more than understand your feelings. We can come together to to fix and provide for people. That's one theory. Yeah. I'm all for that. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can find our past episodes wherever you get your podcast. I haven't uploaded the past, like, three weeks' worth because <laughs> – Well, get on it. Yeah, I got to get on it. I guess that's what I'm doing today. So check out us on YouTube, Evidence of Design. We're also wherever you get your podcast, Evidence of Design. Stay in touch with us, radioeod at gmail.com. Was that said too fast? Yep, at radioeod on Facebook and Twitter as well, radioeod, radio, evidence of design. I was your host, Jason Taylor. Joined in WXR Studios by Matt Treball. As little as possible. We have 15 seconds. Thanks. Take care. Be well. Be safe. And bye-bye.